This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? We have a very interesting show for you today. We have a very, very special guest. This person was a ball person at the 2015 City Open, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But other than that, he is a meteorologist and my friend. Please welcome to the podcast, Sam Gabrielli. Sam, how you doing? Hey, good, Jacob. Um, so those of you don't know, good. Those of you who don't know, um, if you're from South Dakota, you should know who Sam Gabrielli is, but Sam is the weekend meteorologist at Dakota news now, which is the station I am now at and an avid tennis fan. Aren't you, Sam? Yes, huge avid tennis fan. Uh, it was hilarious when I first like mentioned the first day when you said that you were a, you had been at the U.S. Open volunteering. I couldn't believe it because people just don't care about tennis our age in America like that. Yeah, I think the first thing he said to me, we're like meeting everybody, like, "Hey, how you doing?" He goes, "So you like tennis?" And I was like, "You're kidding me!" Like <laughs> that someone just asked me if I like tennis. Um, no, but Sam's got a pretty extensive background um, with the sport of tennis, and we're gonna start off by saying. Um, I mean, he was a ball kid. So can you kind of explain how you were a ball boy and a ball kid and how that all went down? Yeah, so um, I went to Iowa State for college. And, uh, you know, my family, luckily, uh, for my dad's job, they lived in D.C. full time. And a lot of you tennis avid fans know that in D.C. in August is, you know, the Leo tournament, the World Tournament to the U.S. Open, the city or the city open uh, takes place in D.C. every summer. And I remember hearing about a volunteering opportunity to become any part of the city open, whether it's, you know, being an usher or being a line judge, even anything. And I thought, you know what, like I got a little bit of some quickness and agile, uh, some endurance and coordination. I, you know, I was an athlete growing up and I thought I'm going to try being a ball kid. And actually, you know, I, I felt going into it that I was going to be one of the older uh, folks that became a ball kid in that tournament um, as like a sophomore or junior in college. Uh, but I actually wasn't. There were people that were as old as mid-40s to late-40s that were ball ball persons as well. Actually, the proper term is ball persons. Um, and I was actually a net ball kid. So I was, I was there, man. Like when the points ended, I was right there. I made sure I got the ball quickly and made sure it was in the appropriate uh, place right after the point. Yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what were some of the biggest? You've told me a little bit about this, but what were, what were some of the biggest matches you did, and some of the big names that were there the year you did, and what year did you do it? I did it basically. I believe it was so I graduated college in spring, 
of 17. So this I believe this was the summer of 15. I was a ball kid. Um, and so, you know, I saw some big name players there. You know, Andy Murray was the biggest name in that tournament. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov played nits. Um, it was kind of disappointing. I know Eugenie Bouchard, she should have been on the women's side, but I think she withdrew last second. Uh, Anishioka played in it, a Japanese player. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, Camilla Georgie on the women's side. Um, I'm trying to think there's some other bigger names out there. Um, and actually the biggest match I did was under the light. Um, it was Andy Murray playing, I believe, an 80 or 90th ranked player uh, in the in the country at that time. And Jacob, if you have happen to have your laptop on you, I could do some research quick. I forgot who he played. Uh, but it was under the lights, and it was, I believe, second round or first round. And keep in mind, this was later in the day. You know, when you're a ball kid, you're given a certain amount of hours to volunteer. And sometimes you're basically volunteering in groups. There's about six of you per group, and you're given about a half an hour per court uh, with about an hour break breaking between or so to uh, catch your breath and get some food in the tent and whatnot. And I remember I was assigned Murray's match uh, when it was probably mid-early second set. I think the first set just ended. He dropped it. And you know how Murray is. Just a, just a really you know passionate he, – he likes to let his emotions run. And, you know, here I am, just a, you know, just a ball kid dweeb, you know, just trying to get my way around and have some fun out there and, and uh, try not to be in his way. And he's playing an important match to win a lot of money, right, and keep doing well in this warm-up tournament to the U.S. Open. And I'm just doing my best to just make sure I don't distract him or be some sort of, you know, nuisance around the court with him noticing me or anything. I just wanted to be on my game. And, uh, you know, of course, I was just making – sure i grabbed the balls quickly right after the point was over and i just remember the atmosphere and just being right there at the net it was just intense man like you could just feel the atmosphere here you could feel the people uh just breathing you know during every point and uh, uh just being right on murray's back and i believe i was still doing the match when it ended and it was just intense i think actually he did get livid at one of the ball kids in our group was it uh what is it like, Tay Mraz Gabashvili or something? Yeah, from Tay Russia. That's right. And yes, from Russia. And actually, I I don't even know if he's on the tour anymore. Is he on the tour still? I have. I'm not gonna lie. I should know this. I don't know this. Um, I'm not really sure. But he was uh he was a 15 or 53rd ranked at that time. He lost in three sets in a uh, tiebreaker. Murray lost six four four six seven six and four in the tiebreaker. So, uh, what? Oh, I was going to say that makes sense because as I, I remember, I'm pretty sure I did the beginning of the second set or basically the entire second set. And we had to leave our, you know, our, our uh, court there at Murray's Murray's under the lights match. Right. As the third set ended. So I, if I remember right, um, I remember looking back and being like, Whoa, he actually lost that thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's your, uh, intense ball boy situation how, how long were you a ball person that whole tournament right yeah the whole tournament it's about a week-long tournament um and there were trials for it too man i mean you had to make sure you know just because you're volunteering didn't necessarily mean you're gonna be a ball kid wow that's intense i've never i've never actually and, met met a ball kid i worked around a bunch of them at the u.s open but i never had the guts to say hi because 
special breed. I mean, that's a hard job. They're running around. I'm I'm walking around the grounds, you know, showing players where to go. That's a thankless job. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, it was a pretty fun job. And actually, Jacob, uh, as funny as it sounds and cliche as it sounds, I actually did meet a lot of friends doing it. Um, you know, just around the D.C. area, most people, you know, some of them actually were volunteering for college internships and whatnot, just in the sports and marketing uh, type of world. So um, I did make a lot of friends doing that, so it was just a lot of fun. Actually, my sister joined as well. She was a ball kid as well. Wow, runs in the family. That's cool. Um, we, 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 we've had a few conversations about this uh Sam, but what what would be like? Uh, who's your favorite player and why? I would say right now my favorite player. Well, of all time, Jacob. I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I was actually a big Joe Willie Songa fan. I was a huge Songa fan as a kid. Okay. Um, I just like. Yeah, you have you haven't mentioned that. You know, he's still. Yeah, um, I just liked. Like, like especially during the French Open, he actually would push guys to the semis, and I, I remember. One time, he actually almost beat Nadal. Like he almost pushed it to a fifth set with him back in I don't know what year that was, twenty ten or somewhere in there. He, I mean, he beat Fed at Wimbledon one year. I mean, he's he's broke through a few times. It was too bad he never won a major. Um, but he was my favorite as a kid. And I'm going to be honest with you and the viewers, listener, the listeners. Um, I've been pretty bad probably the past four to five years with just being a tennis nut and like paying attention to all the small tournaments and. Um, but I would I would say the most exciting player, the player that I like intriguingly watch a lot of the time just to laugh and I just am interested in what he has to display because he's all over the place. Is, is Fabio Fanini? He's I mean he has the weapons to take down some big players and he's usually consistently in the top twenty every year. But he can never like string it together in the majors. He can never buckle down and you know beat a Djokovic in the quarters at the Aussie or. You know, take out Nadal to five sets in the quarters at the French because he's beaten Nadal on clay. I believe in Madrid. Um, he's beaten him in Barcelona. He's beaten him in several clay court tournaments. So I mean, he has weapons to beat players, but he just mentally is all over the place. He has some sort of antics all the time, which is just hilarious. So he's one of my favorites to watch. But I don't know if I have a favorite man. Um, um I would say out of the young group, the up and coming generation. I'm a I'm a huge team fan, huge team fan. He's easy to he's really easy to root for. Um, he's yeah. he's well he's just a he's a solid dude. He's a solid player and he works so hard and his backhand's like phenomenal. So I mean I've I've talked about team a lot on this podcast, oh, for sure. but he's a total gamer. Oh yeah, t- totally. And he he can outplay like effort wise. He like can outplay anybody. Um, but um, Fanini, this is like his time to shine. I feel like it's a good time to be a Fognini fan because the clay court season is Fognini time. So I think if he breaks out anywhere, it's going to be the French. And this year, um, a lot of people could think that the French is kind of not up for grabs, but they're kind of expecting something new. So do you think he can actually make a run at this year's French? I think he could. It honestly really depends on his draw. If he has to play a couple of crafty, you know, play quarters and maybe from, you know, um, Bolivia or Brazil in the first, second rounds, and then maybe play like a stand in the third or fourth round. I don't know if he's going to have it in him to, to keep advancing, but if he gets like an Isner in the third or fourth round, and then he plays a, I don't know, I'm going to just throw out a random name in like, um, uh, like somebody who's somebody who's kind of weak that's in the top 30 on clay, like a Steve Johnson or um, somebody of that cat 
Yeah, and some, he makes it to the quarters. Mostly the play. yeah, mostly the younger guys who don't have the patience. Right, exactly. Or like a TFO or something like that. I think, or is a Tiafo? Yeah, Tiafo. Tiafo. Or, or one of those type of players. And then he ends up playing like a Djokovic in the quarters, um, or or even a, like a Federer in the quarters. I mean, if Fed is actually going to be skipping the clay court season, um, I'm, I'm sure that's huge news with what you've been talking about on the podcast lately. But um, you know. I guess Benini could have it in him, but it turns out it's wrong. Yeah. Um, actually, you just mentioned our next topic, which was going to be um, funny you mention it, but last week, between last week and this week, if you haven't seen it, Roger Federer is taking a leave of absence until Wimbledon. Um, some, think, some people think it's a good thing because he doesn't win on clay anyway. That's not a diss to him. That's just a well-known fact that he's not as good on clay. And uh, Traditionally, Rafa controls clay, but also he had a – it's like anthroscopic knee surgery or something because he wasn't feeling 100%. So Federer will not be at the Indian Wells, won't be at Miami, anything to the spring until Wimbledon. Um, Sam, how do you think this will like affect his game? I mean, he's 38 years old, he's older, but a leave of absence isn't not only or isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially when you're skipping the French Open. No, definitely not, especially at his age, man. I mean, it, we're just blessed that he's able to play this game at the level he it still is as the GOAT, like, at the time being. I mean, what is he, number three in the world right now? He's 38 years old, and, I mean, I still think he has at least three years in him left with this level of play if he keeps his body um, healthy and in shape. I mean, think about it, man. He's got two sets of twins at home, and, you know, he's, he's just he's a busy dad. So he just... You know, some stuff comes up with injuries here and there, and it's, he's just got to do what's best for him right now. Um, I honestly think Nadal's going to win the French again. I'm going to be full-on Fed fan for Wimbledon, dude. I, I hope you are, too. I think we should do a round trip quick out to Wimbledon. We should take the same days off work and head out, out there. I, You know I'd be down. Um, the I think, I think the biggest thing with Fed, though, is uh, his – endurance i think a lot of people think his endurance isn't there anymore but he's had five set matches i mean the last three four tournaments and um he can hold up in these five set matches which i which which is what i think makes him still so special at 38 but you mentioned you think rafa is going to win that um win the french do you think anybody out of the top three is going to win any tournament because Djokovic already won australian do you think anybody out of the top three is going to win a grand slam this year well Oh, anybody out of the top three. Um, yeah. I think, you know, you know better than me, this younger generation, and who's best on clay, opposed to grass, who, who's who's most specialized service. Like, I will freely admit, anybody from team to Berrettini in the top, you know, four to eight, um, I'm pretty bad at knowing uh, um, you know, what surface they're best at. But I would, I mean, I think out of the top to eight to be you know mainstream but i think team is the best shot uh to take out the doll on at french um I, when i think of medvedev i think of a hardcore player um and obviously he had that run at the u.s open um i think any of them are capable anybody from team to medvedev to sissy to zverev um actually i think zverev after team has the best shot of winning a grand slam I really do. I think he had actually a pretty strong Australian Open performance. I was watching that Vavrinka's Zverev match very closely, and I was really impressed by his um, his mental strength in that match. I mean, there were a couple of times when Stan had a couple of, of rips down the line with his backhand, and he could have pulled away and broke his serve and, and swept him. I think he won that first set like 6-0, Stan did. 
Uh, but Zverev really hung in there and, and showed some mental uh, strength for being in a major. So I think I think team could easily win the French. Um, but then again, I mean, you can never rule out Djokovic, dude. It's it's so tough. I think team is the best shot out of the top three to win a major. But Zverev is very close second. Yeah, and um, I mean, I think you're right. I think team is. Um, has shown that he can play competitive at a high level. Obviously, a bad U.S. Open, a pretty good Australian Open, and then everywhere around there, he's played well since. Um, here, here's one of the biggest debates, and I mean, we talked about Fed being 38. Um, Rafa and Djokovic are still in their early 30s-ish, early to mid-30s. Um, who do you think, and say we this podcast gets brought up in the next 10 years, Right. So it's 2030, you know, and at that point in time, we're going to have a good cut and cut and stone idea of who's going to have the most grand slams. Who do you think in 10 years from now is going to have the most grand slams on tour? Um, I venture to believe it's going to be one of those top three. So who's going to end with more? Oh, great question. Um, I'm actually researching Joe, which is age right now. I believe he's around. I thought he's 33. I think he's 33. He's oh, older. Oh, 32. Yeah, wow. he's older than you think he is. Yes. And I think I think Ra- man. Yeah, I think I think Rafa's like 34 maybe. They're roughly the same age. Right. And I believe it's 20 for Fed, 19 for Nadal and 18 17 for yeah. Joker, right? 17 for Joker. 7 17 mm-hmm. for Joker. Okay. Um oh man, it's going to be tough. Uh, I think I think if Federer if, if Federer wins Wimbledon this year, uh, which I think is not super far fetched, I think that he has a slight edge to finish the most. He'll be at twenty one. Nadal will be still be at nineteen. Well, actually, assuming he wins the French, um, he'll be at twenty. Um, here's the thing: I just don't think Nadal can win the U.S. Open. I don't think he can win. I don't see him winning the Wimbledon really either. I think his only shots left is the French and the Australian Open. And the reason I say that is because with the Australian Open, you're fresh. Start of the season, um, you know, the Australian Open, or the French is his tournament. But, I mean, that's a quick turnover, man, because he's easily going to be in that second week of the French every year until he retires. And, you know, Wimbledon is just right around the corner. It's, I mean, you know, the clay course season. He plays so many lead-up tournaments, he's going to be beat up. That's how he always is. That's why he's only won a couple of Wimbledons in his career, and that's fine. Uh, But I just don't see it in him. And and the the U.S. Open is too fast of a court surface for him. I think think the U.S. Open is the easiest tournament for somebody outside of the top three to win. Um, But overall, the answer your question I, you can't overlook Djokovic I would say in the next in the next two three years if Djokovic does not win at least four majors then he's not going to surpass Federer I don't know I don't know man but then again if he gets four more in the next three years or whatever he will surpass Federer unless Federer gets one more so um it's going to be really tough and down the stretch but I don't I don't think Nadal is going to be the ultimate leader I think it'll either be Federer or Djokovic yeah, and I, th- I think it also gets fishy when you start looking at um, the longevity of these guys, too. Because, you know, um, Rafa obviously has the history of having bad knees. And um, Federer, uh, Federer is obviously older, much older than the other two, so he's almost done. 
And then you look at Djokovic and you're like, how long can Djokovic still play the best defense in the league? You know, if he if he can still play the best defense for the next five years and be able to keep his body healthy with sliding around so much and playing such good defense, well, if if Djokovic can play at the level he's playing at now for the next five years, which turns him 38 years old, I think there's no question he he outbeats everybody because he can win every tournament whenever he wants to, I believe. Um I think I think that's about all I got for you this time, Gabs. Um, I think um, we have. I mean, we'll obviously have you on again sometime this spring. Um, this kind of a dead season right now. I call it a dead season because there's not a whole lot going on right now. There's a few tournaments to keep our eye on, but other than that, you got anything else for us? Nothing huge. I guess one quick question, Jacob. I just want to debate with you about American tennis. Quick, I, who who do you see? You know, crack the top 20th may possibly next I mean Isner's kind of on the downfall of his career in my opinion he's 20 rank right now and then you have like Tennis Sandgren who comes out of the woodwork and has a couple of runs at the major which is awesome but I think we're still looking for that consistent American male who can just dominate and maybe make it within the top 20 like erotic back in the day I mean who who do you see as the best chance of doing that yeah, I, I, that's obviously a really good question. Right now, Isner's 20 in the world, and the next American, who I believe will be the next one to make a big run, um, is Taylor Fritz. I think Taylor Fritz is very off and on sometimes. Um, sometimes it matters you know, who's hanging around. I think matters big in that as well, but um, I mean, matters how hard he trains. I think he's one of those guys like Nick Kyrgios, who has all the talent in the world and can do it. Just matters how hard he wants to train and how much he wants to put into it. But I do think Taylor Fritz can be the next American to do something special. I know Jack Sock just won a big, um, his first win in like 16 months down in Delray, Florida. And that's a big win for him, obviously, because now he's getting back into the singles mode after playing doubles for so long and winning a few Grand Slams and doubles um, with one of the Brian bros. But I do think, uh, I think Isner will hang around that 20 spot for probably the rest of his career. Um, But I do think... Taylor Fritz will be the next American that makes that really makes a splash in the top 20 just because of the sheer talent and he's so young. So I think that's why. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that definitely does, Jacob. And I'm going to make sure next time you have me on a guest, I'm going to do a little more homework. And my biggest thing is I'm going to pay attention a little more to the smaller tournaments because that honestly is the big precursor to momentum questions that players could have in the big draws and make and whatnot as well. I know Montbiu said has had a very strong um, season right after the Aussie Open, and uh, that's kind of that's the kind of stuff you got to look for. So that's my homework next time, and I really I really thank you for having me on. Uh, until next time, thanks a lot. Yeah, um, like like always, um, you can follow me on social media. Uh, make sure you reach out for anything you need on social media um, at Believe Podcast. B L E A V is the podcast network. Gabs, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a meteorologist. Uh, you can find me at uh, at S A M G A B R I E L L I W X. That's my Twitter handle. Uh, you can find me there. I uh, usually tweet weather things about 95% of the time, but you give me a follow, maybe tell me you're a little interested in tennis. We can uh, we can debate some tennis as well. Yeah, we can sling some things out there for tennis, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, all right. Thanks for being on, Gabs, as always. A pleasure. I will not see you at work tomorrow. You're heading out for a little vacation. Um, good for you. Um, but other than that, appreciate for having having you on. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy schedule and being here. And uh, I think that'll do it for this episode. 
Thanks a lot, Jacob. See you until next time. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.